This is the number one determinant podcast where we believe that you are the number one determinant of success of our students. My name is Jonathan Pascal, and I am your host. Today, we'll be kicking off our podcast discussing what it means to be and feel as though you are the number one determinant of the success or failure of your students. We are going to do that through the lens of coaching our leaders. I would like to introduce our guest today. It is a pleasure to have with us Dr. Jerry Oates. This gentleman has been in education his entire career. He started as a teacher, and it is my understanding that he was seen by leaders in, in his time as a teacher, uh, and he began his path in leadership within the schools as well. He started as an administrator early on in his career. As an assistant principal, he worked through the beginning stages of his leadership and grew to become a principal. He served several schools in that role until later increasing his reach and support at the district level here in Brunswick County Schools. Once again, others saw his leadership and the ability and desire to support educators in their work with students. Dr. Oates was then charged with serving as the superintendent of Brunswick County Schools. Welcome, sir. Good morning. All right, we are going to talk first about what it means to be the number one determinant of uh, success of our students and, or the failure, but we want to talk on coaching. Uh, we talk a lot about everything rising and falling on leadership uh, in my particular school, and we talk about the number one determinant of success as well. Uh, a lot of times at the beginning of the year, I'll tell my staff that I'm the number one determinant of success in the building. But then I go to the teachers and I say, I want you to know that you're the number one determinant of success in your classroom. And then, of course, as you can imagine, I'll talk to the, the parents in a open house or freshman orientation and tell them that they are the number one determinant of their student's success. So with that all being said and going back to leading our schools, uh, coaching our leaders is obviously important with the lens of knowing that they make the biggest change within the school building. So my question, my first question, if you could speak to school building administrators, can you speak to the coaching their leaders within their own building? Yes. Um, coaching leaders within a school building is, is paramount to any school success. Typically, your principals, you as, as you well know, would, would work with your teachers, but invariably they're going to be teacher leaders that rise to the occasion within your building. And by giving them an opportunity to utilize their leadership skills with their colleagues, um, it enhances the, um, the school culture. It enhances the ability for the, the teacher to actually lead and it may give or spur on some other colleagues to uh, aspire to to be a teacher leader as well. When you're a coach, as a principal, when you're coaching your your teacher leaders, you're simply empowering them, giving them the opportunity outside of the classroom um, to bring change to the to the school itself, uh, bring change to the department. Um, usually, your department chairs uh, would be some of your teacher leaders. Um, but not necessarily all the time. You may have, uh, I've seen some beginning teachers that 
are just pure leaders within themselves and been able to um, bring about change, positive change to a school simply because of the leadership skills they possess. Um, when principals can see that these teachers have leadership skills and leadership ability, providing them with professional development outside of the school to, again, hone those skills that they already have, putting them in situations where they are around others that are like them and they can basically sharpen each other um, and bring those <clears throat> those ideas back to the school. So I think it's incumbent upon every principal to, to know who those folks are within the building and work to um, bring their leadership skills as, as far as they possibly can. Wow. Yeah. You spoke to empowering leaders that stood out to me and then sharpening each other. Uh, I know that in our schools and even when I was a, a, a teacher, whenever I had the opportunity to be pushed in, in a certain area and say, Hey, we need a trip coordinator. For an example, we need someone to, to organize this field trip. That ownership <coughs> that I was able to put in, um, then uh, made me want to start asking some others, some peers and saying, Hey, I know you've gone on several of these trips or I know you've done this, um, instruction practice in your classroom whenever you've empowered them they then do sharpen each other i like the way you worded that so now we're going and we're we're giving them that autonomy that knowing that they're the professionals in the room knowing that they've gone to school for this particular subject or this particular grade um, and working with their peers to to uh, as you said sharpen that they're uh, sharpen one another uh, excellent well Moving from that, uh, we've been working through this pandemic for several years now, and I only slightly smile. I probably shouldn't, but it's, uh, I guess it, it went along a lot longer than we had anticipated. Um, and there's a lot that goes behind that, so we don't, we don't talk about this flippantly. Uh, but leadership during this time uh, has clearly not been uh, an easy task, just as the as we know, you know, education as a whole or teaching as a whole and learning has not been a simple task. However, during this time, uh, countless decisions that you have made and a part of your leadership team has been imperative to supporting our teachers. So with that being said, our in our educators as a whole, uh, it truly has helped them as educators in the building to thrive in a time of uncertainty. So I really want to talk about that. Can you speak to what it looks like and how you might have supported your leaders within the school system uh, to be able to lead through this uncertain time? I think one of the biggest lessons that I learned in leading through uncertain times, specifically the pandemic, um, was something that from the first time that I heard that I met our current board chair, uh, Mr. Steve Barger, he he said that we are all struggling. And he said, but what matters is if we struggle well. And that stuck with me. Um, I think honesty and, and, and just being open to anyone that you're leading during uncertain times uh, gives hope to those that you're leading because they too are uncertain. They don't know the what to do. They don't have the answers. Um, so this pandemic has taught me that when we are faced with that kind of thing and just let people know, hey, I'm struggling with this as well, but together we can struggle through this cohesively and struggle well, as Mr. Barger said. Um, again, that, that open, that transparency, that openness to transparency of, of saying that you don't know all the answers 
but you will do what's best um, for the organization as a whole uh, with the resources that you have available. Um, you have to rely on folks who are around you and you cannot make these decisions in a silo. When you're dealing in uncertain times, everyone has a piece of the responsibility. Um, the number of times that when the, the pandemic first started and, and we were all home, the number of times that I called cabinet and I said, I need to meet y'all in 30 minutes at the office and for all of them to converge here, they knew that it was important. And that happened more than once or twice. Um, we would all sit around the table and we would take each scenario and, and try to work through them at the same time, keeping in mind how this was going to affect the teachers, how this was going to affect the students and trying to make sure their lives were not disrupted um, emotionally, financially, uh, professionally through what we were facing in the pandemic. So we had to definitely put our heads together and, and walk holding hands in the dark, so to speak, um, until we were able to, to see a little bit of light. So looking back on it, it was, it was rough. Um, I think I said in one of our committee, well, in an emergency committee meeting that we had, uh, <clears throat> was that we here in the Southeast region, specifically in Brunswick County, we know how to deal with hurricanes. This is what we do. I mean, you can throw a hurricane at me now and I'm almost to the point of, okay, we, we know what to do. But during that time when we were dealing with, with COVID, I think I said, no one knows how to deal with COVID um, because it was new. But now if we had to deal with another pandemic, something similar to this, I think we have the tools and we have the knowledge and the experience to, uh, to, do, it, to do it well. Excellent. I, what, what I grasp from that, and, uh, and I'm taking notes as, as we're talking, but uh, getting perspective from several leaders uh, within your cabinet or within the, the district as a whole, uh, as soon as some uncertainty, uncertainty came, specifically a pandemic, um, you know, you called in your cabinet, you said, and bringing them in together and, and being able to discuss different perspectives uh, was important to you. And because of that and your trust for them, you knew that you were going to be thinking of every piece to the puzzle. Um, and with that being said, you were also very vulnerable, it sounded like, in the sense of, hey, I haven't been through a pandemic before. <laughs> I've gone through, like you said, hurricanes, and we know the next best steps or the next moves to make. Um, but in terms of something like a pandemic, uh, I don't have a phone a friend option, right? There's no one else there uh, that has been through this. So we had to collaborate. We had to work together is what I see in, in, you know, in Brunswick County. And you did that through pulling in your leadership team and trusting that they also asked those that they are charged with for suggestions and thoughts and, and knowing that they brought that, uh, those, those best ideas together so that y'all could quickly decide on things and move forward. And I say quickly because everyone listening to this knows that in education, we had to move as fast as we've ever moved, uh, at the beginning of this pandemic and throughout. Uh, well, excellent. Well, I, you know, we mentioned, I mentioned trust as well. You had to trust your team and your cabinet. Uh, that, that leads me to this next idea of trust. I remember when I first met you, Dr. Rhodes, uh, you even brought up the word trust uh, in a conversation quite a bit with your leadership style. So we know that it all starts with trust. One of uh, a leader's most critical responsibilities is fostering trust in an environment, I would say. Uh, that 
is because we know that workplaces, families, uh, teams all work on and through the idea of trust. But uh, not everyone sees that as as important, I guess. Uh, so imagine a, a place that didn't have a trusting leader, that maybe the, the leader didn't trust those educators or those they serve, and then vice versa, that they didn't trust the leader as well. Uh, if we were to think about that situation, or uh, we would know uh, that obviously there would be some areas uh, for growth, but we would be at a standstill most likely in terms of moving forward on decisions or getting support. So with all that being said, uh, can you explain to uh, our listeners what trust means to you as a leader and maybe how you extend that to others? What trust means to me is dependability. Being able to ensure that those that are working with you will carry out their duties as assigned, that you don't have to micromanage. I can go to my HR director and know that if a situation has taken place, that he and his department are going going to handle. I can trust him with handling that. Um, I can trust the chief financial officer for being fiscally responsible. I don't have to worry about um, folks not getting paid, bills not getting paid, or or having um, the mismanagement of funds. Um, Folks think sometimes that trust is automatic, and I don't think it is. I think that is something that has to be built over time. And you can build that trust by, first of all, being true to your word. If you tell someone something, you need to be able to do it because next time they can say, well, he did this the last time. I can trust him pretty much to do it this time. Um, <clears throat> and one of my tenets of, of leadership in any new organization that I come in, come into, I did it when I was principal. Uh, and I've done it now as superintendent, and that is those that are working most closely with me, I will tell them, if I can't trust you, I don't need you. I remember you telling me this. And that simply means not trusting them as someone who's going to go and do some underhanded thing. I need to trust you to be able to do what you're assigned to do. That's Because if that's the case, I don't need you. I need to get someone else in here that I can trust to do what they're assigned to do. Um, and the trust is not being is not uh, perceived as, or at least I hope it's not perceived as being loyal to me, although that is something that, you know, leaders need to have with those in their ranks. You need to have folks who are loyal not only to you, but to the organization and to each other. Um, that, for me, builds uh, even stronger trust um, that goes where um, I said earlier, worrying about someone undermining you or saying one thing to your face and then going behind your back saying something totally different. I trust my cabinet to be able to come to me and say, you know, you really screwed this up as opposed to going behind my back and saying, can you believe what he just did? (laughs) And my cabinet will do that. Um, They will say, look, I think that's going to be a mistake. I think you're about to hit a wall here. And any sensible leader will take those that he is supposed to trust, will take that as advice as opposed to a criticism. 
So once you have those types of relationships um, and that trust is, is built, I don't think there's anything you cannot do. Wow. Mutual trust is exactly what you explained. And I'll reflect on my own practice when you said that. Uh, making sure that others feel and know that they know that, not just feel, but know that they can come to you and say, uh, you, you're about to mess this up. But that quote uh, struck with me because that there are times, obviously, uh, there are going to be times when any leader uh, doesn't quite make the right decision or is about to make a decision that wouldn't be the best um, in, or in the best interest of everyone involved. Uh, maybe it's great for one group of uh, individuals in the organization, but not another. But with that, all those perspectives and you're bringing in your your, your team, then they you have that trust and they know and they trust that when they come to you, that you're going to listen, that you're going to hear them out. Um, you might not always be able to change that decision but they trust that they can tell you that this might be what occurs uh, that was that really stood out to me uh, I'd, I'd like to how you started it as well you wanted to make sure that you uh, weren't having to and not having to but didn't feel that you needed to micromanage your cabinet or anyone that you serve uh, you wanted to make sure that you trust that they'll do their job you know, that they'll do what they've been tasked and charged with uh, but building trust is also something that you have to do over time. Uh, that really, I'm thinking through in my own practice as well. Uh, it starts with the leader. You know, that, that's what it, I got from you is you're extending that trust first. You know, you're staying true to your word um, and you're trusting them to do what they say they're going to do. And then that trust is built from there. Uh, that's huge. That's huge, Dr. Oates. Well, with all of that, uh, obviously, I know that you trust in your your cabinet uh, and and knowing that they will work through and trust their uh, those who they've been charged with serving. In turn, obviously, we want this to ripple all the way down to our students. So with that being said, we we know that we're empowering others. We're empowering our leaders and we're coaching them and pushing them towards some of these characteristics. Well, with all that being said, I think we can agree that we need to be able to appreciate those that we serve. Um, and in this time, this uh, particular time when we're recording this podcast, it is uh, Teacher Appreciation Week. Uh, so we want to make sure that while we're working through and coaching our leaders, that we're showing them the appreciation that we know that they deserve. But in turn, that that ripples down. And of course, making sure that we're appreciating our faculty and our teachers. So with that being said, encouraging and appreciating uh, not just our teachers, but all educators, uh, I would say in this district has has been huge, specifically over the past uh, few years that I've been in the county and I've seen it uh, firsthand. And I know that doesn't just start within the school buildings. Uh, so with that being said, could you speak to what leaders can do to show appreciation uh, for our deserving educators? What are some of the things that you all are doing at the district level that might be rippling to our te our teachers and our educators, uh, those professionals in the rooms with our students doing the most important work on a regular basis? I would think um, this day and age when when teaching has become so politicized. <clears throat> um, the simple things that leaders can do for teachers may have the most impact. Um, everyone says thank you, and that is appropriate. Um, but I like to say I appreciate you because to me that, that rings a little different. Um, 
well, some folks will say, well, it's a job, you know, they, they're coming to work, they're getting paid and that pay should be enough. But the pay is not enough for the things that teachers do before school, during school, after school, uh, on weekends, on holidays, um, making phone calls to, to parents, being parents to children that aren't theirs. Um, those things go above and beyond what's called in called for in the in the um, job description. So the appreciate just the, the mere appreciation of a teacher is just the, the baseline for me. Um, as a product of a teacher, I understand firsthand what they go through. Saw it early on, and still made a decision to go into it. Um, it's, it's hard work. It's not for everyone. It's a calling. And I think what we as, as leaders for our, in, in these schools and our built in our districts, we have to do things to ensure that they feel appreciated. And some of the things that we work to work toward here <clears throat> is, of course, financial compensation. You know, um, all those teachers are state paid by the state. Um, and that definitely, definitely needs some work. What we do as individual districts is try to increase supplements. We've tried to, um, we've taken ideas from the teacher advisory council to work with, with our, our teaching staff, uh, for things throughout the year, not just teacher appreciation week. Um, when you have a social media presence like we do, there's nothing like seeing a teacher seeing that they have been recognized by their administrator on social media, a picture or just some kind words. Um, you know, one of the things that the teachers uh, talked about in, in one of the board meetings was, you know, the, the dress down Fridays and that kind of thing. So I think you may have remembered the, the, the night that I just asked if the board had any objection to this just being uh, standard attire, you know, not requiring something, just little things like that, um, have a, have a big impact. Um, because in a, in a quote that I just used in a video just the other day from Nicholas Ferroni, educators are the only people who lose sleep over other people's children. And, um, that's, that's just a remarkable quote because it rings, it rings so, so true. Um, but until the public at large recognizes the impact that teachers have, um, I still think teachers, all educators, will be the most undervalued people or have the most undervalued profession. And that's, that's definitely a sad state of affairs. Um, regardless of the profession, everybody's had a teacher. And that teacher has had an impact on that person's life. Um, but what's, what's been most rewarding to me as a former teacher is to have students reach out to me, um, whether in, in person or on social media and, and tell me what the impact was I had on their lives. Mm -hmm. I was staying at a hotel. Um, I was transitioning from a house built, buying a house, building a house and was staying in the hotel for a couple of weeks. 
and one of the um, housekeeping staff saw my name on the list. And of course, I was gone during the time that she was uh, was working. Matter of fact, I still have the, the note. Hold on, give me just a moment. Well, now this is something I definitely want to see. This is when I was uh, principal at Mosley Performance Learning Center in Wilmington. It said, I saw on our roster for so I saw you on our roster for cleaning. I just wanted to say, hey, I'm the housekeeping assistant manager here while going to business school. I wanted to say thank you for everything you and the counselor did for me. I know I would not have made it this far out of high school without you guys' help and guidance. Hopefully, I will run into you while you're staying with us and that everyone is doing well. She said, oh, I still have my Mosley Creed hung up in my house so I can read it when I feel like I need some encouragement. Wow. So those are the impacts. That, that make this profession worthwhile. And it, and it keeps me encouraged to, to know that um, I was able to drop a nugget of encouragement and hope in this, in the, to a child that is now working on a business degree while working as a housekeeper in a hotel. So. Wow. I, I must say that, you know, I didn't know about that letter. I've known you for a few years now, but the fact that you've kept it all this time uh, speaks volumes. And we we all have either heard of a word of encouragement from someone who we have taught at some point or received uh, a letter from someone. Um, whether we've received a letter or not, I hope everyone does realize the impact that they are making ripples through time, uh, as we can see from just, you know, just your one story. But looking back at some of the notes that I was taken as you were talking through this, but it, you made it sound like it's not just one thing. You know, we're not going to show our appreciation for any staff member, any educator by just doing one thing. And I would agree. I've seen countless uh, uh, subtle appreciation, um, subtle things that we've been doing or that you all have been uh, working through at your level to make sure that our teachers and educators as a whole feel appreciated. You explain that it's something that has to happen on a regular basis, uh, that, that our leaders in our buildings, uh, should be able to have those candid, very, uh, intentional conversations with our educators, ensuring that individually they feel that appreciation as a, as a collective whole, doing things like the, you know, dress down, so to speak, being able to wear, uh, jeans type of, uh, of gift, you know, to make sure that educators feel that we respect their decision making their understanding that they they can choose um, that piece of their day uh, that autonomy working through and encouraging individual groups uh, of leadership teams but also uh, maybe within departments and that could be in certain ways like uh, it could be simple things as having a dinner or a luncheon for them uh, providing them with uh, you know a, a, a team building style of, of shirt having a, a common shirt or theme there these are all things that I've seen uh, our county do and then that is something that I know has been directly a challenge of you to all of the principals to make sure that we're pouring into our staff. And specifically, uh, I've noticed it even more so over the past few years during this pandemic. Uh, but appreciation is huge. It's felt, Dr. Oates, from the, uh, from the central office. It's felt from you. Uh, and I did 
want to uh, also add that that video that you sent out to your uh, your educators and the educators in this district uh, was felt throughout the hallways because it truly was genuine. We can see that the work that you're doing on a regular basis with uh, with students has had a rippling effect, and I'm pointing to the letter that you just shared with us. Um, with that being said, I know that the educators are feeling that love and support as well. So with that, we would like to thank you all for listening in today. Uh, but I also obviously want to thank our guest today, Dr. Oates. We appreciate your time, uh, appreciate your attention to this, and all the continued work that you do on a regular basis for our educators. That is it for our number one determinant podcast, where we believe that you are the number one determinant for the success of our students.